Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Today, you'll explore life and travel in the city of 10,000 shrines, Kyoto, Japan. To talk about the history of Kyoto a little bit, it's one of the only cities that wasn't destroyed during world war ii so you still have a lot of the old older architecture in addition to that it's kind of always been known as the cultural capital of japan um so yeah very traditional very old city and we dig into some of those traditions and places to see if you're visiting with my guest taro moberly a street and travel photographer who you just heard from based in kyoto japan His book, In Kyoto, guides readers through the many faces of his adopted hometown and Japan's cultural and spiritual heart. During our chat, we also discuss photography as an act of creative expression. Photography has kind of been my way of expressing how I feel, how I see the world around me. And if you've ever thought about moving abroad to a country that is part of your heritage or your family background, your roots... And reconnecting with that, or maybe connecting with that for the first time, you'll discover how Taro ended up moving to Japan to connect with his family heritage and why he stuck around. We also get into some of the unique nuances of Japanese culture and even answer the question how you can move to Japan if that's something you want to do. The easiest way to to move to Japan, if you're coming from any other country, really, um, the easiest way is to You'll have to tune in to hear the answer to that question and much more coming your way today. Plus, I'll give you a song to pair this episode with. Maybe you can guess which song it is. Perhaps. We'll see. Plus, a thoughtful Japanese proverb to send you on your way to a productive week. And a shout out to somebody in this community who's adjusting to their new life on the road. All that happening in today's episode right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And... Yokosa to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now, your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Are you enjoying Destinations Month? January is all about destinations, a good time to start getting those travel dreams churning again, figuring out where you might want to go this year and the next couple years. And we're continuing that with a trip to Kyoto, Japan today, a place that I've been dying to visit for a long time that I know I'll get to one day. Uh, Of course, much more going on in this conversation than just the destination piece, but we do get some tips on what to see, what makes Kyoto such a special city, being really the cultural and spiritual heart of Japan. And just a couple notes before we dive in, if you want something to accompany this show, I would recommend you check out uh, Taro's website, either taromoberly.com, we'll link to that in the show notes, or his Instagram, where you can see some of the pictures from Kyoto, and that way you can kind of uh, get a little bit of the uh, visual vibe on some of the things we're discussing, and some of those small but magical moments we witness as travelers that 
we touch on in our conversation today. Just one of the many things that comes up. I hope you enjoy it. Stick around on the back end if you'd like. We'll leave you with a Japanese proverb, something that we can all carry through with us for the rest of the year. A shout out to a listener and a little song pairing to close it out if you're so inclined. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Taro. Thanks for listening, for being here today, and I'll see you on the other side, my friend. How many of these podcasts have you done? A grand total of zero. (laughs) This is the first one. No way. Yeah. Zero to Travel is your first ever podcast? Zero to podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, if I I make mistakes here and there, I apologize. (laughs) You can't make a mistake uh, if you're just uh, having a conversation and being honest. So uh, True, true, true. This is a mistake-free zone as long as you bring the... uh, Bring yourself and a smile. Welcome to the show, man. This is the show. It's happening right now. Are we going? No, thanks for having me. We're going. I'm really excited to have you because Kyoto is a place that I've never been and it's definitely on the so-called bucket list or live list or whatever you want to call it, life list of places to go. Of course, I should formally say Taro Moberly. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend, a street and travel photographer based in Kyoto, Japan. And we're going to get into your story a bit today because I want to hear how you ended up where you ended up from California, which uh, I guess we should start with California. Like, did you grow up in a city there or small town? Where were you? Yeah, uh, born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area lived there for uh, most of my my youth I guess um well all of my youth and then went down to uh, San Luis Obispo which is halfway between um, San Francisco and LA for university um so yeah I'm a I'm a California boy born and raised <laughs> I remember the first time going to San Francisco it was always a place I had wanted to visit and I got this touring job and they're like, well, you have a week off. Uh, you, you guys want to, you know, tell us where to fly you home. And I was like, can we go somewhere else? Do we have to go home? And they were like, yeah, we'll fly you wherever. And I was like, San Francisco, baby. And went out there and just fell in love with the city. Mm, uh, nice. You know, like went to City Lights bookstore and walked around, you know, saw the Golden Gate Bridge, the whole thing. And it's so charming. And I'm just wondering, I guess, what it was like to grow up in that city. <laughs> um, yeah. So I actually grew up not in the city itself, but kind of south. Um, I grew up near San Jose, um, which is where it's like where all the tech companies are, right? Yeah. So like okay. Apple, Silicon Google, Valley. Silicon Valley. Exactly. Um, so growing up, around that area is kind of just around computers <laughs> most of my <laughs> most of my life right like um my dad worked for a, a big tech company um and just growing up we just had computers all around the house um even if you go to my parents house now they just there's like a computer there's three computers in every room right it definitely had a lot of that exposure growing up um and even kind of as more of an adult, like there's a lot of that, like entrepreneurial spirit going around. Like people are trying to have the the next big tech startup. Um, so you see a lot of that going around. Um, yeah, I was, I, I enjoy tech. I, I love like computers and things like that. I've never gotten too into it. Um, a lot of my friends would get into like programming and coding and things like that. Um, I, I've dabbled with it. I played around with it. Ultimately, it's not something that I can stay focused on. <laughs> it, it's not quite for me, but yeah, it's it's definitely really fun to watch, I think. Um, the city itself, San Francisco, is definitely a lot of fun to, to hang out in. It's definitely a very quirky city. Um, I don't know. For example, I, I recently took a, a friend there. They're, they're super surprised. It's like, you know, people walking around naked in the street, or you'll see like, a bike, like a group of people riding bikes by and no one's wearing clothes. And it's, it's shocking to people who've never seen it before. Right. So, um, yeah, things like that. It, it kind of makes it, uh, an interesting place to, to hang out. Yeah. It sounds like 
I mean, from what I've heard, people have been getting priced out of there for a while now, which is super sad. Yeah. Um, one of the most expensive places in the country. Um, I think what, like New York, the Hamptons might be one up on that, but, um, yeah, with all the tech companies coming in, obviously there's a lot of money there. Um, so it's just been raising prices for housing and things like that. Luckily for my parents, like they, they have a house there, um, and it's just gaining in value. (laughs) I, I suppose they've been living there for, for before, since before I was born. So it hasn't really affected them as much, but you definitely see it all around. It's interesting to hear that your friends were coding and into all that. I just always wonder how much of an impact the environment has on your direction in life, you know, but you even growing up in the heart of Silicon Valley and you're a photographer, so you went a different way in in many ways. How did that come about for you? Photography was something that I've had an interest. I've had some interest in it basically since I was a kid, um, not as a photographer itself, but as a, as a fan of photography. Right. So my family always subscribed to say like national geographic magazine and things like that. And I, I remember looking through the magazine pages and just being amazed at not only the, the content of the photo, but just kind of the art of the photo itself. Um, my, my family has kind of had a, a long history with art. My aunts and uncles, there's a lot of like painters, people who are into like more contemporary art. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, I've been surrounded by art just through my family growing up. Um, but photography was kind of the art form that I was always the most interested in. I never really started taking photos until kind of later in life. Um, I, I did it on and off. Like I took photo classes in high school and things like that. But I think when I moved to Japan is when I really kind of embraced photography as something that I enjoy doing. Um, so that's, that's kind of been the story there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I was part of that, not just embracing the craft of like, Oh, I really enjoy doing this. I'm going to make an effort to do it. But then embracing I don't know, perhaps the identity of a photographer, right? It's like, okay, not only am I going to do this, but I'm going to try to pursue a career in this, which I think is another level of sort of personal commitment, perhaps. Uh, but I can't speak for your experience. You got to tell me where your head was then. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, it, c- photography for me still isn't a career. Um, I actually have a day job, <laughs> which is... No, it, hey, no, no, nobody hates on the side hustle here, <laughs> Taro. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, photography for me has just been something that... It, it's been a form of self-expression. Um, I, I, I'm i a pretty introverted guy. I don't I don't really speak too much. Usually, usually I only really open up to people that are really close to me or after I've had a few beers. Um, <laughs> but photography has kind of been my way of expressing kind of how I feel, how I, how I kind of see the world around me, I suppose. It's another form of communication for you, essentially. What, what is that? Yeah. What does that communicate for you that you can't do in other ways? Ah, I don't know. Like being on a podcast right now, it's kind of weird to say, but I've never really been strong with words. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a good verbal communicator. <laughs> Just something visually about about photography. I could I could look at a photo and I don't know, kind of read into the story behind the photo, right? Um, like what's going on in the photo. They say they say a photo can tell what like a picture can say a thousand words or whatever the saying is. Um it's absolutely true to me, right? Um, try to, if I look at a photo, I try to think like, oh, what was the photographer, what was going through their head when they took this? Like, why did they take this? Um, you know, and there's so much about it. Like what is the, what's the subject? What's the, even the lighting of the photo? Every, everything is there for a reason. Usually it's there for a reason, right? So it's like, why, why is it like that? And in my own photography, that's kind of what I try to try to express as well. One of my favorite parts of travel is, or living abroad or really just just wandering around anywhere is kind of seeing these small vignettes kind of play out. You want to look at them like that. It's a moment in somebody's life that you hap- happen to 
just walk by. It doesn't even have to be, I mean, it can be just a mundane moment, but something about it to you. I'm not sure what it is. Like what, what attracts you to a moment that makes you want to capture it, I guess would be the question. It's hard to say, <laughs> even, even for me, it's hard to answer, right? It's like, you kind of see it and, and you just know it. Something special. Yeah. And, and for me, especially as a, you know, living in Kyoto now, um, something I want to express with my photography is just kind of what, what is life like here? Right. Um, for a lot of my people who are looking at my photos, um, they, they probably don't live in Kyoto. <laughs> uh, most of them don't even live in Japan. So uh, just kind of, I want to show, I want to express kind of what is like daily life like, like um, what, what, what does the world look like here? What will they see if they, they were walking in my shoes or if they were just walking through the city? And yeah, seeing people on the street that have like a moment to themselves, right? Like, it, it, you, you see them and kind of wonder like, what, what, what are you thinking right now? Or what's going through your head right now? Right. What's your story is, is what I'm getting at. And hopefully with my photography, I could kind of show a little bit of that story. It's interesting. We have that in common because you know, this is where I do it right here. Through on the podcast. The podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. I just want to hear people's story and hear their perspectives. And it's so nice to share that with people. Why, why is it so nice to express yourself and share things as a human? Why is that? <laughs> why do we have that innate desire? I feel like if I'm not doing that for an extended period of time, something definitely feels off for me. Yeah. Well, they say humans are social animals, right? Yeah. But you could argue that you could argue that what you do is not, you know, it may not be super social if you're, I'm, I don't want to use the term <laughs> lurking. If you're lurking around the corner, taking a picture of uh, somebody in an alley doing something, lurking's the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, um, yeah. No, no, yeah. it kind of is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I have, a, I have a bunch of other street photography friends and, you know, people post photos on Instagram and things like that. And the comments are always like, oh, you're, you're the best lurker out there and stuff like ah. that. It's like, that's what it is. <laughs> okay. So I did yeah. use the right word. Great. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully it's not as creepy as it sounds, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing it in a, in a different way, of course. Yeah, our, absolutely. But, um, absolutely. Not, yeah. <laughs> well, had you traveled a lot before you moved to Japan? And I do want to hear why you ended up living there in the first place, but... Yeah. Um, yes, I've been very fortunate. Um, as a When I was young, my parents would take me kind of all around uh, all around the world. Really, I shouldn't say that. Maybe it was mostly to Asia. Um, so my... You might be able to tell by my, my name, um, Taro. Taro is actually a Japanese name. Um, so my mother's family is from Japan and my mom grew up actually here in Kyoto. So when I was, a, when I was young, we, we spent a lot of time here in Japan, um, traveling around my, and, and to other places as well. Um, ultimately my parents decided that they just like really warm tropical islands. So we ended up going to Fiji like every year, <laughs> which like looking back, I, I, I think I probably didn't appreciate it enough. Um, I could, I could go for a vacation in Fiji right now, but yeah. So yeah. And then that, which kind of brings me to why I'm here now. So being here kind of visiting during summer vacations as a kid, um, visiting family and kind of touring around the country, I really kind of wanted to experience what it's like to not just visit for a summer, but try to like live here, you know, so ultimately I wanted to spend a couple of years and kind of experience the culture on a deeper level than just visiting, um, kind of learn about my heritage a little bit more, um, get to know my family on my mom's side more. Um, my grandmother is still, going hard. <laughs> um, she's over in Kyoto. She's here in Kyoto. Um, and I have other family around as well. So I kind of get closer with them and get to know them on a level that I didn't get to as a child. So that's, that's kind of the, the reason why I chose to come here. Um, and in 2015, I'd graduated college and I was working for 
a couple of years, I was doing um, kind of online marketing for a for a sports online sports retailer, um, mostly working with like running equipment, running shoes, and things like that. Um, but I just kind of had a an opportunity to come and move to Japan, and I took it, and I'm here. And yeah, originally I was only supposed to. I, in my mind, I thought I was only going to be here for like a year or two. Um, but that was 2015. So seven years later and I'm, I'm still around. <laughs> Haven't wow. left yet. Wow. What, what brought you there? Was it a work opportunity or? Yeah. So, um, the easiest way to, to move to Japan, if you're coming from any other country, really, um, the easiest way is to come in teaching English. Um, and that's the route that I, I took originally. Um, there's a number of like different ways that you can teach English. Um, a lot of people will kind of get a job with like a private teaching or private school, I guess, um, like an English an English language classroom. It's called a, like an eikaiwa in Japanese, um, but they're like private lessons, um, usually with adults or with kind of students that are practicing for a like an, uh, a college entrance exam or some sort of other test. Um, the route I took was actually going through, uh, it's called being an ALT, um, assistant language teacher. And that's a position where you actually work in a, a Japanese uh, public school, um, teaching English to classrooms full of kids. So that's what I, that's what I did when I first, um, arrived in Japan and it's kind of something that I stuck with for a while. Um, I'm still involved with the ALT industry, I guess you can say I'm more of a, of a supporter now. So my company actually, the company I work for is a dispatch company for ALTs and our clients are kind of the boards of educations in different cities throughout Japan. And I help I help new ALTs kind of get situated, um, kind of familiarize them with the the working culture here in Japan, and kind of help them out in the classroom as well. Um, so yeah, I'm still I'm still involved with that. That's my day job. Nothing to do with photography. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody was interested in in pursuing that route, just quickly, could you share like a resource or two that would be helpful? If you can think of any offhand. Uh, yeah. So the most common, I guess the most popular, um, program that people do it through is called the jet program. Um, uh, J E T I, I don't I stand for Japanese English teacher. I'm not, I'm, I actually don't know what it stands for, but it's a, it's a government funded program. It's quite competitive from what I hear. And you have to interview abroad. Um, if you get selected, they bring you over and they will put you in a school or two, maybe three. Um, but they take care of you, I think. Um, from what I've heard, they they pay relatively well. They kind of help you out with housing, things like that. Um, yeah, I actually, I actually work for a, a private company that's okay. a competitor to the chat program so they'll probably be super upset if i <laughs> if they heard that i was promoting well you them. can mention um, the company yeah so to. it's called um interac and it's the largest private um alt company here in japan i guess so it'd be second to the jet program um so it's interact like interact without the t at the end and it's the same deal. Like most people will come from overseas. They'll get hired overseas. They'll come to Japan and then they will get placed in a, in a kind of a random city. Um, you get to, you could, you get some choice in terms of where you end up, but for the most part, it's kind of like we have a position in this city up on this Island. Enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> You got to be open for an experience. It looks Absolutely. like the website's interactnetwork.com. Is that right? That sounds right. Uh, yeah. It looks like it. And the other one is, yeah, the Japan Exchange and Teaching Program. We'll link to all these yeah. in the show notes. And of course, your um, your website and your Instagram and everything like that as well. It's great. Uh, you know, you never know if somebody's listening, 
that they're like, hey, this this sounds interesting. Like maybe this is a way to go to Japan. Then just like to get a couple resources there. But I yeah, I, for sure. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why. We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now let's get back to the show. I want to hear about life in Kyoto. You said you came to experience life in Japan and, and specifically in Kyoto. So tell tell us about it. Like, what is life like there? I'm really curious. Yeah. Uh, well, Kyoto itself, I feel, is a very unique city. Um, it's something that kind of drew me to it as a child. Is It's a very traditional city. I think that's what people hear about it the most. Um, there's tons of, like, temples, um, old, like, shrines. Um, there's a lot of culture in Kyoto. Um, I think kind of to talk about the history of Kyoto a little bit, it's one of the one, it's one of the only cities that, um, wasn't destroyed during world war II. So you still have a lot of the old, older architecture. Um, in addition to that, it's kind of always been known as the cultural capital of Japan. Um, so yeah, very traditional, very old city. I think it's like several thousand years old, um, it's been, it, there's been like a number of catastrophic fires over the years, right? So it's like every 800 years or something like that, the city burns down. Um, it's one of those really ancient cities. But at the same time, you have, it, it's a modern Japanese city. So you have kind of like very shiny buildings. Um, Kyoto Station itself is kind of a like big, modern, just huge building with these like mirrored glass panels all around um is a huge contrast from like the, all the tradition and all the temples and all the culture that you have in the rest of the city so yeah huge contrast um which i think makes it really unique and really interesting um in terms of day-to-day -day life in kyoto um yeah like it's not uncommon to see like a group of monks walking down the street right um or the the maiko the maiko more commonly known as like geisha um like you'll see them walking to work with their all their makeup done and their hair in their <laughs> the, the classic maiko hairstyle and at the same time you'll just see like 
salarymen walking to work and things like that, right? Um, so, yeah, very, very interesting contrast. But other than that, like, it's a very, I would consider Kyoto and Japan in general a very easy to live in city. Um, the thing about Japan is culturally, they, every, everything is done by like a rule. Like, there's a certain way to do everything, right? Um, there's a certain way to greet people in the morning. There's a certain way to like take your shoes off when you enter a, someone's home. There's a certain way to, to, I don't know. There's a certain way you go to a convenience store and you, you pay for your food. There's a certain way to do that. Right. And can, can you explain one? Like what is, what do you have to do? Uh, like a convenience store. So yeah, you go, it's it's not in depth or anything, but the, the the way the things that the the cashier will ask you, right? They're going to be the same exact things every single time. Like they have these rules, so it's like you go there, they'll ask you if you want to buy buy a bag, right? And they'll ask you using the same language, like a shopping bag. They'll they'll ask you like how you want to pay. You know, they'll thank you the same way. Um, They'll, they'll greet you when you walk into the store. It's all, it's all very structured coming from the U S I think that's something that is, is very different, right? Or U S people will be a little bit more creative with how they interact with other people. Right. When you get used to how things work here in Japan, um, it makes things very easy because you can just kind of go through your day without even, without, without you can just kind of flow with it. Right. <laughs> because you know exactly how everything's going to happen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, everything's very structured for sure. I think that's one of the things that most people have a lot of culture shock with when they first arrive in Japan. Um, like, I don't know. I was in the train station the other day and there's like arrows telling you, you, you look at the ground and there's arrows telling you how to get to like the front of the train station, how to get to other train lines. It's like, you just have to look down and follow the arrow. You don't have to, you don't have to explore or anything. You just kind of follow, <laughs> follow the rules. So yeah, it, it's fun. It's very different from America, I think. <laughs> Do you miss home or does it feel like home there now after seven years in some way or not really yeah yeah i miss home a lot um i was actually i was able to to visit um the u.s back a couple of weeks ago now so maybe two weeks ago um for the first time since covid actually and yeah yeah i miss it obviously friends and family are over there um but there's something about home, right? Like a home is where the heart is. Like I, I, I could feel really relaxed when I'm there. Um, not to say that I'm uncomfortable here in Japan. Um, like having lived here seven years, I'm very, very used to it. Um, I'm very comfortable here, but there's something about being home that, that, that always feels good. Right. I think, I think one of the most striking things is, something you're not used to having lived in Japan um, and then going back to the U S is the amount of small talk people engage in, <laughs> right? Like, like you, you, you sit down at a restaurant and the guy will ask you, the waiter will ask you, how, how's your day going? Right. They'll, they'll talk about the menu things like that. Whereas in here in Japan, you, you don't get any of that, um, you know, straight to business. Okay. What are you going to eat? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty similar in Scandinavia. They cut out a lot of the chit chat, at least in Norway. Mm. Uh, I, I like the chit chat. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's nice once in a while, right? Like you get the feeling that people are you get the feeling that people are friendly, right? Yeah. Um, but it's just different. It's just a different. It, it really is, and you, you settle into it. Obviously, a very popular place to visit. I wanted to hear from you having lived there for, for quite a while, what should people see and do when they come to Kyoto? What would you tell people? Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think the, the obvious answers are the, the temples and the shrines, right? Um, like there's Fushimi Inari, which is 
the the shrine with all the the tori gates so you look at it and it's like kind of a tunnel of like orange tori gates that you walk through um it's probably one of the most popular tourist destinations in the world um so as a if you're a first-time traveler it's definitely a bucket list item right it's somewhere that yeah you you, you should go look at it you should go check it out um there's also like the golden pavilion um king kakuji which i think everyone has undoubtedly seen a photo of at least once in their life um just kind of a it's like a temple next to a little pond and the temple is coated with gold gold leaf i think like it's really beautiful like really ornate building um uh the third one being kiyomizudera which is another large temple that's kind of sitting towards the top of a hill on the the east side of town um and you can get really fantastic kind of sunsets looking over the city um so those are always, kind of the three. always nice <laughs> yeah absolutely right um yeah I, I i even though it's kind of a really touristy area that's somewhere that i still enjoy going to um today not not like obviously yeah i'll, I'll take a camera and take photos there um but just kind of enjoy the the view um I'm a, I'm a sucker for like a good sunset over over a big cityscape right um yeah but i guess who isn't all right <laughs> so, <laughs> so those are i think those are the big three kind of tourist locations to visit um in the city that said they're all going to be very crowded <laughs> they're all obviously they're the, they're the tourist spots so um i always recommend going early as possible early in the morning you're going to miss most of the tourists yeah uh some recommendations for kind of lesser known areas i would say um i really enjoy going up into the kind of the hills around town um so just east of kyoto city there's a there's a mountain called mount hie um hiezan in japanese it's a it's a it's a fairly well-known mountain i guess you could say um there's a there's a really large temple complex on the summit of the mountain um it's like a unesco world heritage site so I guess I guess most places in Kyoto are, are UNESCO World Heritage sites. So it's not really saying anything, but um, yeah, it's very. You're gonna escape most of the crowds. Plus, you're gonna be you're on top of a mountain, so it's kind of a very it's a much more natural feeling. Kind of like you're you're surrounded by nature, um, which I think really adds to the ambiance of the the this this place. Um, there's also a lot of history on top of that mountain. Um, I think during the samurai days, one of the one of the Japanese warlords like took an army up there and kind of like massacred an entire village of people or something something crazy like that. Um, lots of history there as well. Um, so that's Mount Hie. I also enjoy going up to like uh, it's called Kurama and Kifune are kind of two areas on the north part of Kyoto. Um, again, very similar. You're in the mountains, so you're kind of in the forest, um, surrounded by by the the trees, and especially like on a summer day, it's going to feel a lot better because you have that shade to protect you from the sun. Um, Kyoto during the summer, if you're in the city, like it's 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 a nightmare. You're going to be so sweaty and hot. Um, it's so humid. I hate it. <laughs> um, so I, I really like kind of getting out of town into the, the more natural areas. Um, Kifune and um, Kurama also kind of, they have like a little village around the area. Um, it's very famous for, they have restaurants out there called, there's a river and they build planks over the river and the, the seating is on top of those planks. So you're basically eating your lunch on top of a river and you get the cooling effect from the river below. Um, they're called yuka, which means floor in Japanese. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 I feel like it's a really great way to kind of escape the city and kind of really just relax a little bit. Um, 
very very peaceful feeling for, for sure do you speak japanese uh yeah i, I speak enough <laughs> um yeah so my my mother being japanese when i was a kid she would always yell at me in japanese right um <laughs> so much easier to yell at somebody in your native tongue <laughs> it really is it really is having having worked at at schools like when I when I yell at <laughs> I, I don't yell at kids, but I, I if I if I if I really want to say something like serious or if I if I'm feeling upset and I try to say something in Japanese, it, it doesn't sound right. Like right, I always kind of get a blank stare and kind of like they kind of laugh at me. <laughs> yeah, I joke um, around with my wife. You know, if we spoke Norwegian all the time with each other, then we'd probably get in a lot less fights just because. I, you know, if I'm upset and I want to say something, you know, make a crack or, you know, say, well, you know, you shouldn't have done this. <laughs> you know, if yeah. I, if I have to think about it in Norwegian first, or if I just, it just immediately adds like a layer, you know, between oh, my, yeah. my sort of upsetness and, and that person. And I'm like, oh, it's just, maybe this isn't a big deal. <laughs> it, it kills the flow, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like probably you, in a good way. Yeah, I suppose. You can't, you can't express the same passion yeah. <laughs> when you're upset in a different language. But yeah, um, I, I, I grew up around a lot of Japanese. Um, I, I never really studied it formally, but kind of being, having that exposure as a child and kind of being here in Japan now, it's been much easier for me to kind of just pick it up and I never really studied it. So I kind of just absorbed it. Um, and at this point, yeah, I, I, I could communicate if I have to communicate, right. I, I, I speak to my friends in Japanese, um, day-to-day life is no issue. I would say, yeah. so you're, yeah. so you're communicating in Japanese, as yeah, you yeah, yeah. Day, which obviously makes a big difference with I think quality of life too. When you're living somewhere, it ingratiates you uh, a lot more, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, living in a city in Japan, I would say that knowing Japanese is not, it's not a requirement, um, especially in a place like Kyoto. Like it's so, it's so geared towards tourists now um, that everything that you see will be written both in Japanese and English, oh, yeah. right? Just because so many people come to visit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that said, if you're if you're going to live in a different country, like the more the more of the language you understand, the easier your life is going to be. The more convenient it's going to be, especially if you're if you're say coming to teach English, right? Like you're, you've come here to to show other people or to teach other people your language. It's only fair that you you take some of their language as well right so i always encourage people to try to pick up as much of the language as you can um japanese itself is a really they say it's a really difficult language to learn right like writing especially there's three different writing systems thousands of characters to learn but yeah just kind of try to learn it little by little um once you start kind of recognizing things on the street like you see a street sign or something like that um or you maybe you overhear a conversation or even someone's talking to you and they use a word that you that you just studied like it feels so good to when when you understand it right it's like oh yes i communicated i won i did it right (laughs) yeah well it starts stripping down the sort of the society opens up in a certain way Right, you're just not you're not just floating through a bunch of things you understand, hearing background noise that you don't understand. You start to be a part of it in a different way. I think that uh, really opens up the connection with the country, and then of course the people. And, and I wanted to ask you about the connection for you because you mentioned wanting to like connect with your heritage, and after all this time there, I'm just wondering, have you? Have you like I? I don't know if there's a way to define successfully connecting to your heritage. It's a very difficult thing. But what is your feeling on that? Is that something you feel like you've been able to do? And if so, what what has that done for you? I, I think I've learned a lot about myself. <laughs> um, I definitely like obviously like I've I've gotten to know my family more. Um, 
I, you know, I understand the the dynamics between between my my family and um, on a whole level that I never really understood as a as a kid. Um, but I feel like a lot of a lot of how I how I act um, even before moving to Japan, like I can see part of that Japanese heritage through kind of my day-to-day behavior, um, even living in the U S right. Um, so for example, I've always been very conscious of kind of my presence, um, the effect I'm having on the people around me. Um, even in like living in America, like I never, I I would kind of go out of my way to make sure I wasn't like annoying people or things like that. Right. Um, and living in Japan, like that's a very Japanese trait. Like in Japan, people are very, they will go far out of their way to make sure that they're not inconveniencing people around them or that they're not, you know, making people's lives or people's kind of, yeah, people's lives any worse in any way. Um, you know, how, how you're perceived is a very big thing here in Japan. And that's kind of like looking at that and looking at my own behavior. I've always kind of, I've, I've looked at it and said, Hey, you know, I, I could kind of see that in myself. Um, maybe part of it is because I spent a lot of time here as a, as a kid. Um, my, my mother is a, is a very loud and outspoken woman. So I, I didn't get it from her for sure, but you know, from her family, it's definitely possible. Things like that. I've, I, I, I kind of see myself as like a mix between my American heritage and, and Japanese for sure. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely been, been very eye opening and a, a great, great chance for me to kind of discover more about myself. Yeah. Without having been there, you wouldn't, you might not have recognized these things. And I, I it's interesting how being in another culture can can act as a mirror in a lot of ways to your own behaviors and maybe make you question certain behaviors or certain things about yourself in, in a different way and perhaps noticing which of those may be cultural. And it just gives you a heightened awareness, I feel, around a lot of different things. And, and Absolutely. Yeah. It makes you start asking questions like, all right, well you know, am I, am I just behaving this way in, in these certain situations or whatever the case, or is this like a personality trait that's just within me? Or is this something that was kind of just part of my growing up in the cult? Was it just a cultural construct? And the, is it serving me anymore even, you know, in some <laughs> cases, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, uh, it opens up a lot of questions. It does. I, culturally as well. Um, I think one of the the most valuable things to me having like lived in a different country and really kind of gotten to know the culture is it's allowed me to kind of look back at at how things are back home. Right. Because I'm in a country where really like everything, every little thing is the culture is just so vastly different from what we're used to in, in the U S it kind of opened my eyes to how things are different back home. And made me realize, you know, I've never, I've never realized this about, about people in America. I've never realized about like this, about how we do things in America. Um, I always thought that that was normal or that's something that I took for granted. Right. Um, But then we come, I come to Japan and it's, it's, everything is different. It's like, oh, that's really interesting. Why do they do it this way? And it makes me wonder, why do we do it the way we do back home? Right. Um, and it's not to say that, you know, any culture or any way of life is better than the other, right? Like that's kind of the beautiful part about having different cultures, but it kind of, it kind of makes you wonder for yourself, like what, which one do I like the best? You know, which one works for me and do we have to do things in this way or can we take, you know, learn things from this culture as well? Like, I, th- I think a, a, a really common example is like taking your shoes off when you go inside, right? When you go inside your home, um, that's something that's very prevalent in Asia and in Japan. And 
traditionally, I guess in the U.S., that's not something many people would do. Um, you know, many people just wear their shoes all around the house and whatnot. Um, but it's like, oh, you know, if you're taking your shoes off, your, your, your home stays so much cleaner. You know, you can kind of relax a little bit. You're out of your shoes. Which one's better for me? Like, which one do I like more? And you kind of get to pick and choose aspects of different cultures. And Clearly taking kind of- your shoes off is better. <laughs> I mean, we do it here in Norway too. And it's like... Why would I why would I like walk all over the streets and into the public restroom and then come home and walk with the same shoes in my house? Take your shoes off. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of mind blowing now that you like think about it, right? It's like right. the outside world is gross. <laughs> we 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 walk on some disgusting ground. Like but yeah, things like that. Um I think it's one of the biggest takeaways from living abroad is just kind of learning not only about the culture that surrounds you, but kind of like inspecting how things are back home. Mm. We'll be back in a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press, but I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks so they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now let's get back to the show. In Japan, I, th- I feel... I've only spent a handful of days in Japan and just in Tokyo, so I, I've, there's a lot to explore for me. But just having you know been exposed to japanese culture even if i mean it might sound silly but even going to like you know certain sushi restaurants or like we went to the japanese garden in portland oregon over the summer and so beautiful and then we went to the tea house and when they served the tea they had such a clever nice little zen box thing it came in (laughs) and then they poured water and this napkin got bigger and it was all very i feel like everything is there's so much attention to detail in so many ways like japanese furniture as an example i mean you don't have to travel to japan to, to know these things or you read about uh zen philosophy or whatever but then living there i feel like you know mindfulness in that way is really built into the culture in some ways right like is that true have you found that there are aspects of that that have changed your attitude or maybe slowed you down a bit in some ways. I mean, you're from California, so maybe you were already just like, <laughs> dude, whatever. <laughs> I'm from the East Coast, so I'm like, let's go okay. here. <laughs> you're, a, you're a go-getter, huh? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. But I'm a go-getter of coffee, I guess. That's uh, I- <laughs> you and I have that in common. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Going back to your example of the tea ceremony, I think that's a perfect example of like kind of the Japanese, like you said, like how the attention to detail. Um, the I've never actually been a part of a, a real tea ceremony in Japan, but the process itself is there's so many steps there's so many things that you have to do, right? Starting from, you're not even inside the room yet, but when you enter the room, there's a certain way that you have to enter the room, right? 
Um, it's actually really interesting. If you look at a bunch of tea houses, they have like a, the door that you go in is like a two foot by two foot hole in the wall. Um, and you kind of have to like bow through it. <laughs> um, a lot of, a lot of doors in Japan are like intentionally kind of low. So you kind of have to bow as you enter the room. <laughs> um, kind of an interesting fact. Um, but, uh, the, the tea ceremony, like, right. There's a certain way that you sit, right. There's a, there's a tatami mats, the, the floor mats, um, and they've got lines built into them where they bind the tatami where they bind the, they, they kind of weave it together and you sit on a certain side of that line on the floor and the person serving the tea sits on a different side and you have to sit certain facing like a certain direction and the person serving the tea will like stir it a certain way. It's right? all rituals. It is. It is 100% rituals. Um, but there's so many steps and so detailed. Um, I, I, I tried looking through like the steps of a Japanese tea ceremony at one point. I can't, I can't remember half of them, right? Like even when you drink the, the cup, you have to twist it in a certain direction and you have to put the cup back down in a certain way. Right. Um, but that's a great that's, example of, you know, like you could just come and pour a glass of tea, but all of these small things matter. They all contribute to mindfulness. I feel like in some way. Mm. Right. It's hard to slow down in that way, I find any anyway. I, I just always wonder if living in a place like you live is just kind of slows you down because it can't help itself. <laughs> yeah, in certain ways. Um like Japan, I think it's still I mean Kyoto is still a very bustling place, right? Like <laughs> um there's it's very What's well, that contrast you talked about? Yeah, before, it, right? absolutely, right? So like you've got I'm sure everyone has the image of the the rush hour trains in the morning and people being pushed into the trains and everyone's rushing to get to work. Um yeah, I I'm not a f- I'm very lucky that I don't have to take part in that commute. It's to the point where even like a sit-down breakfast restaurant isn't really a thing in Japan unless you're staying at like a high-end hotel or a ryokan, which is like a big fancy Japanese inn. Um, because people don't have time to, to go out and eat breakfast, right? <laughs> people are, are rushing out the door to get to work. Um, but yeah, at the same time, like the so much of so much of the culture is based around taking things slowly and kind of being aware of your surroundings, right? Um, paying attention to little details. Um, you spend any time in a, in a Japanese temple and just kind of observe the details and how immaculate the craftsmanship of not like the, not just the artifacts in the, in the temple, but the building itself, right? A lot of a lot of traditional buildings in Japan will have this like sliding doors, kind of made it. They're they're kind of made of paper, but they have like really immaculate paintings on them that were all hand drawn, um, hand painted, I should say. And yeah, just kind of people really appreciate kind of that mastery of like that attention to detail. People will devote their lives to doing these things, and. You, you can't do that when you're, when you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're rushing to work every day, right? I, I guess maybe if you're rushing to the, <laughs> the place where you're going to go paint a door, <laughs> that's one thing, but yeah, you take your time with everything and you do it right. You do it in a way that you kind of appreciate the craft. Well, I mean, I can certainly see that attitude or I, at least I feel that when I look at your photos, uh, I feel like you're, you're doing the same with your photography and I wanted to make sure that people could check it out. If they're curious, maybe you could dish us a couple photos here to put on the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, taromoberly.com. And I can link on the show notes there. And you want to just let everybody know where they can get the book and all that if they're curious to go a step further. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. um, Yeah, there's definitely a lot of times when I, I try to slow down with my photography. Actually, I'd say my biggest criticism of my own photography is that I don't slow down enough. Um, <laughs> a lot of times I'm pretty, we, we like to say run and gun, kind of just like go, go, go. Um, but I think it is when I slow down and kind of 
really think about what I'm, what I want to photograph is when I, I can do my best work, right? Taking photos on the street, that's a lot of kind of anticipation, right? You, you find the, you kind of find the, the setting that you want to take a photo of and you want the right character to kind of wander through that frame, um, things like that. And, you know, sometimes that photo never comes, right? And that's okay. It's part of the process. Um, you kind of have to learn to accept that. But then when you get, when you do get the photo, it feels so much better, right? It's <laughs> the one that you've been trying over and over and over again. And you finally get it. It's like, I yeah. accomplished it. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm, I'm no photo critic here, so you're not going to hear me speak intelligently as a, as a commentary on, on these photos, but I can tell you that just looking at them inspires me to go and experience these moments for myself, whatever version of those moments I can experience on the ground. And I just love the aesthetic and the sort of the, I don't know what the, I wouldn't call it a filter, but there's a certain, the look. <laughs> yeah. There's a certain look and feel and sort of like, yeah, aesthetic, I guess that kind of binds all these together. I think it's really cool. Anyway, I will, we'll link to the Instagram and, and all the things. And if you want to check out the photo book in Kyoto is coming out very soon at the time of this recording. So it should be out by the time this drops to you. Taro, man, just want to say, appreciate your time today. Let's stay in touch if we can. Yeah, for sure. Come to come visit Kyoto sometime, Jason. Would love to. <laughs> Take yeah. care. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. There you have it. I want to thank Taro Moberly once again for stopping by the show and sharing a bit about his life in Kyoto, Japan. We've got one more week left of Destinations Month. It's not like we're not going to cover Destinations the rest of the year, but... I had a lot of destination-themed episodes, so I thought packing them in to this month would be a fun thing to do. hope you're enjoying it as much as I'm enjoying bringing it to you before I let you slip and slide out of here and get about your day. I do have a few things to share that I mentioned at the top, and we'll start with this shout-out to a listener right here in this community who's kickstarting a life of travel and I love where he took the time to record this voicemail for me. Here it is. My name is uh, Brett Hunter. I'm from Perth, Australia. Um, I've just started my travel journey. I'm currently in an airport at Senai Airport in Malaysia. Um, it's honestly been a hard couple of days adjusting to this new life that I am starting for a while. And... Yeah, I've been listening to your podcast for the last year and it's really gotten me off the ground for what I am for this travel journey that I'm on. So let's say thank you very much and I hope to continue listening to your podcast for a long time into the future. Thank you. Thank you, Brett, and congratulations. I love that you took the time to do that at the airport. I mean, literally out on the road right there, right now, and it's always wonderful to share these community voicemails, to share these stories. And I think this one's a good reminder of the fact that sometimes we work so hard to set ourselves up for a trip or a gap year or whatever the case is, even just a two-week or one-week or weekend vacation. And it's not always smooth right in the beginning, right? Like Brett said, he's having a bit of a hard time these first couple of days adjusting to this new life. And it is really a new life when you've sort of left everything behind, you're taking off for a longer term period of time and that's okay. So if you're out there and you're just starting out on a trip or if you're getting ready to, don't get discouraged. If, you know, those first couple days, couple weeks, even, even month, whatever the case is for you, it's a bit of an adjustment period like there is for everything in life. Just because we achieved our goal doesn't necessarily mean there aren't going to be some challenges right away with that. It's always challenging to kind of open up a new chapter in life. So anyway, I'm sure, Brett, you're going to thrive and enjoy your time out on the road. And I just wanted to publicly acknowledge your accomplishment here on the podcast. Congratulations for doing what it takes to get out there to live your travel dream. If you have a story you want to share, travel tip, anything you want to share with the community, really, just want to say hi 
You can always leave me a voicemail. I'll have a link in all of the show notes. Very easy to do. No email required. Just push a button. It takes 90 seconds or less. Go ahead and do that if you want to get in touch. Okay. Uh, let's see. Two things. Japanese proverb coming in a second. First, the song pairing. Of course, I mean, I wish I had the rights to this so I could play it right now at the end of the show, but I don't. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers has a song called Kyoto. It's got a banging horn section. And if you've never heard the song Kyoto, you can search that wherever you stream music by Phoebe Bridgers. Cool song. I like it. Different take on Kyoto than we heard today in the interview. And this Japanese proverb, like I said at the top, this is something that we can carry with us throughout the year. Something to to keep us strong, keep us going whenever things get tough, which they inevitably do, or things happen. And it goes like this. Fall down seven times, get up eight times. (laughs) Love it. Thanks. Thanks for your time today. Got like how many millions of podcasts to choose from and you're here part of the zero travel community i can't tell you how much that means to me so really a heartfelt thank you and hope you enjoyed today's show and i look forward to seeing you next week peace and love to you and yours have a great day cheers this podcast has been brought to you by zero to ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality 